everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruse Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. The Roost Podcast is part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. You're seasoned vet at this point. I feel like the, yeah. the bit of me grading your intros is, is going to have to die. Yeah, I think I've graduated now. You're on to the AAC. Exactly. That counts for something. I love it. We're moving on. We're getting better. We're making improvements. We uh, we got a lot of AAC talk coming up on this episode, which it'll be fun. We got Taylor McCarg, former, former Rice quarterback, here to show us all things, I guess, Rice and AAC. He might be the most qualified Rice-related person to talk about the American. Now that I'm thinking yeah. about it, is that probably? Probably fair. Covered it, played against those teams, back at it again. So good conversation there. A couple things off the top through our kind of notes before we jump into our interview uh, with Taylor. Um, first off, this week has been busy on the news front for, I guess, just the white, the Rice wide receiver room. So we'll get to that off the top. Uh, had Bradley Rosner entering the transfer portal and then... Uh, I actually broke the news this week that Cedric Patterson was no longer on the roster. Uh, that was tied to a medical retirement from an injury that he suffered in the spring, uh, which which sucks. But uh, we do want to break down this in detail. So I'm going to point you all to a couple different things. First off, if you're not subscribed on Patreon, patreon.com slash atharoosh. You can pick up a one-week trial right now. You can read all of this for free. Uh, the wide receiver team preview, uh, position preview is up on the site right now. Uh, I think running back is up. Corner is up. I've been working on linebacker, a couple others right now. You can read all of that for free. Put on a, a, a trial subscription. See if you like it. Uh, hoping you stick around and come back. And then we are actually going to talk about all of offense in shoot it's mid mid July right now uh, in a couple weeks it'll be time to sit down and start doing our previews of both sides of the ball so we're going to talk the whole offense in detail and not do two shows basically focusing on the wide receiver room does that sound fair we agreed to it beforehand so i guess it it's fair to us <laughs> yeah i and i i like i need some emotional distance before i'm i'm uh prepared to talk about Rice's wide receiver room disintegrating in the offseason for like the fifth consecutive year. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I there's some grief, some grief. What are the, the stages of, uh, I don't know, acceptance at some point? It's in there, right? We'll get there. Um, there's some hope. I'm like, we're going to talk about Giovanni Johnson. Here we go. Converted quarterback turned wide. Rice has been really good at these converted from one position to another phenoms. Um, <laughs> ever heard of Luke McCaffrey? He's pretty good. I'm just I'm just saying I didn't just call Giovanni Johnson Luke McCaffrey, but we'll get there. We'll have time. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Uh, we want to get to the good stuff now, as always. Uh, use the code ROOST at homefieldapparel.com get you uh we have swag that's coming in i'm delivering um some swag goodies to carter that i just got this week from homefield and i'm probably gonna have to go buy more they keep doing these uh and you can use this code too 
on the they have the I guess mystery shirt releases. I'm going to get the courage to do one of these soon and report back on we'll what mystery shirt I get. As long as it's not like, you know, Houston or something. Some hate SMU. I don't think I don't know if I could. Well, I don't know. The pony logo might be pretty cool. We'll see. Yeah, that one's good. But yeah. Like I, I couldn't do it just on the off chance that I would get like an Auburn shirt. I'd have to burn it. It'd be terrible. They gotta be there's gotta be like a like an exchange portal, right? Like I won't <laughs> wear an Auburn shirt, but I would wear like a Yeah, I don't the know, like the like Kentucky give me a mystery because... shirt and just like you you get like three freebies. It's like please Ooh, not that's please. we need to talk to Homefield. Give me three yeah. X's. It can't be ABC, but anybody else. Like I'll take yeah. Slippery Rock or College of uh, the Colorado School of Mines. But but like not Texas. Right. Yeah. Like I have a handful of SEC schools that are just like an absolute hard no. Mostly, I think I would be fine outside from that. We're going to get it in on the list. As I said, we were going to get straight to the point today. We will. And uh, (laughs) that that's our business. How about that? All right. And we are here now with former Rice quarterback and uh, current analyst with both uh, ESPN and the American Athletic Conference itself. Taylor McCarg, how's it going, man? Great, guys. How are you guys doing? We feel good. It's it's getting to busy season, which honestly for me is kind of refreshing because I don't know what to sell, to do with myself as a football person in June. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm right there with you. Oh, go ahead, Carter. No, it's just it's you. We're finally getting to that point of the off season where football season isn't just some like like far future events like it's uh, it's starting to feel like tangible again but then that also makes the anticipation worse yeah i, I was gonna say um i i mark the beginning of football season really when phil Steele, uh dave campbell's athlon sports when those previews hit the shelves that's where that, that's when my season <laughs> begins or that's at least when i start uh, to really dig in and think about it. But yeah, we're, what is it, five weeks from, from this upcoming Saturday? We, uh, we've got college football on. And, um, you know, it's <clears throat> before you know it, you get into that week zero. And then once you get to week zero, you blink and it's the shortest season in, in major college athletics. What does prep look for you this day? Because I know if we go back to quarterback days, you've obviously, obviously got a game plan now that you're covering. Uh, an entire conference, and I mean, shoot, you're doing SWAC games, and what else is going on? What, what, what? When, when you say prep and getting ready, uh, is that just grabbing every preview magazine and reading it cover to cover, and then you're good? What is that nowadays? Yeah, well, this year is a little bit different, and and it's exciting. I've got a, a contract this year with ESPN, and so I'll have a blend of Big Twelve games and then mostly American conference games. And then I've got a carve out of a couple dates with CBS Sports Network that I'll do um, three games with them this fall. And I actually know what those are already. So what I've start or what I'll start doing over the next or really now uh, within the last week or so is really dig into the teams that I feel like I've got a good chance of getting one of their games. And so it's obviously everybody in the American. Um, it's the. I would say probably the lower half of the big 12, right? Like I'm not going to get, it's very unlikely that ESPN gives me a game that OU or that Texas is in, but everybody else in the big 12, I I need to be familiar with. Um, And then, 
you know, like like you said, reading it cover to cover, I, I'm you know, same as everybody else. I'm just a fan of the sport, so I'll read everything about you know the SEC and and what's Alabama's quarterback situation and uh, can Michigan bounce back and you know make another Final Four run. All those the main storylines, I'll, I'll dig into those as well. But I'll really hammer down on everything as it relates to the American Conference. Now, who, which of your bosses do we request so we can get you on Rice Games? Where do we, where do we write that in? Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain I'll have. It would surprise me if I didn't have Rice at some point this year. Uh, they obviously, this is a big step up. And for, for any Rice fans that listen to this, this is a, moving to the American in years past. And the, the guys at Rice, guys and girls at Rice, they did a fantastic job with everything in-house, but this is a step up where now all of the games are coordinated and produced by ESPN. Now, even if that means it's on ESPN plus and it's on the app, ESPN is sending a truck, they're sending producers, they're sending a crew. And so there will be a step up in quality for the whole experience for the viewer. Uh, for me, I, I'm almost certain that I'll have at least one rice game this fall and we'll see what it is. I thought there was a chance that we would get, Houston and Rice for the Bayou Bucket, but that one got flexed to uh, NFL Network, which was surprising. Yeah, honestly, like, I was really excited and all in on, I I, I can cancel my CUSA TV subscription, for one thing, <laughs> but when they when the uh, the Bayou Bucket went to NFL Network, I was, was like, huh? <laughs> it seemed kind of out of the blue. I guess TV is TV, and if somebody's paying you, I get it, but... Yeah, I was surprised by that one also because the NFL Network had a package uh, with Conference USA a few years back. Do you remember that? They, they announced had... it's like a five-year deal, and then it yeah. disappeared. They, <laughs> they made a they, – they, I think the NFL Network maybe got over their skis a little bit, and, and they had – I can't remember who it was, but it was – it was uh, the crew that they sent down did not match up with a Southern Miss and Rice noon kick. Uh, <laughs> and I think they realized the error in their ways, but – you know, now it's a you know, both of these teams, Houston and, and Rice, have bumped up in conferences, and uh, I think it's a, a little better platform. But like you said, I, I was surprised that NFL Network took that game. But hey, at least it's here. Uh, CUSA TV is gone. And then, and I was telling some folks this this week, I got my email um, from the league office to, you know, put together my order of finish for the American conference. And I still kind of pinched myself because one, I guess I haven't mentally, even though we've been doing these previews all summer, I haven't really like wrapped my mind around the fact that rice is officially in the AAC one. And then two thinking through like, man, who's in this league. If I got to go right out one through 14, <laughs> it's a lot more work now. <laughs> yeah. But I guess no good doubt. Work. Yeah, it is good work. And it, you know, these are teams, a lot of the ones that are in this new look conference are, are teams that I played against, you know, from 2009 to 2013. So it's fun to see teams that, you know, I would consider Rice's peers. Um, and then a couple of the ones that, you know, it, it moved from Conference USA. I know we'll talk about UTSA, but, man, right out of the gate, I think UTSA is going to challenge against anybody in this conference. Tulane, SMU, Memphis, doesn't matter. Um, and it's exciting. Yeah, I think it's obviously this was a huge step forward. And uh, with with Carl Guard leaving, you know, I, I don't I think this will go down as the, the greatest thing that he accomplished in his tenure at Rice, because this was a really big deal to get Rice out of Conference USA. 
I would yeah. like all of our, our regular listeners to, uh, in case you were wondering if I was just making that up about uh, feeling like these teams are Rice's actual peers. Well, Taylor and I were at Rice for the exact <laughs> same time, and he was on the team, and he feels the same way about these teams. So I just want to put out there that I am not alone <laughs> in feeling that way. Well, and I love it. Uh, Taylor, because you have you have a very unique vantage point from where you're at because you have the rice ties. If you remember playing these teams um, and then also with the work that you've done recently, um, you know, through broadcasting is you've covered a lot of Conference USA and you know a lot of those teams well uh, as well. So I kind of wanted to meet in the middle and, and we, we we thought we'd make a game of it. Uh, it is preview magazine time. So we've talked about that and we want I went ahead and I, I Googled. Uh, high school yearbook superlatives, and we're going to take that and we're going to apply it to the AAC team. So I don't have 14 here. There's actually 15 Wichita State. We're not going to talk about you. It's it's football time right now. Um, and we'll make a little game of it. So we'll start off with uh, some easy ones, kind of work our way up. So first is we'll let you in on easy. Let's work together on this. Uh, who's the best dressed AAC team? Right. Best dressed. Um, gosh, look, I'm going to any any I could pick rice for all of these um, best dressed. I would say the uniforms that I love the most in this conference are Tulane's powder blues. I think those are as good as you, you'll find in college football. So I'll, I'll take Tulane's powder blues. I'm a sucker for powder blue uniforms. Yeah. We we have sung the praises of the angry wave mascot on this podcast before, <laughs> but I just yeah. I it's so iconic. I love a college mascot that's such an obvious holdover from the days when like I don't know when these things were, were weirder, and that has survived into today's world of people wanting everything to have this sort of like bland corporatized feel to it. Um, but a mascot that just just that weird and that, like the the drawing of it that it's just like. It's a face on a wave with fists. It's ridiculous. I love it. That yeah, looks like the old Squidbillies cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also agree that Auburn sucks, so that's aligned as well. <laughs> Googling Squidbillies. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some good ones. I will say, uh, I. I I guess this goes outside of football, but uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Shockers mascot just in general. Um, I think all like outside of like your, you know, premier blue blood bland, blue, easy for me to say, blue blood brands that have been around for 100 years. I think every other college should have to pick a, you know, minor league baseball equivalent mascot. And I think being a a shocker, a shock of wheat is about as minor league baseball as you can get so i'm a big fan of all of the obscure lo- we have enough you know sorry owls and falcons and what bulls tigers like give me something exotic a fewer tigers and bulldogs please more of like mud hens and trash pandas uh, jumbo shrimp we got a lot to choose from here so that that would be mine for best dressed if we're going to go one more uh, i want to go to the next one here uh we'll start a different track uh, most improved so you could take this a couple different ways from going into the league or teams who have been there or what have you most improved team 
and the AAC in 2023. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Temple Owls. Uh, if you look last year, look, it was a three and nine team, right? So they're not setting any records. But if you look at their back half of the season to the first half of the season, EJ Warner, Kurt Warner's son is their quarterback, and they were dreadful at the beginning of the season. And back half of the year, playing really good football, a couple big wins. They almost beat Houston in Houston. And I think that's a team, I think I, I tweeted this out the other day, but it would not surprise me if, if Temple jumped up and ended up getting to 500 this year and making a bowl game. I think um, Stan Drayton, their head coach, building a culture the right way. We got to spend some time with them on a, during one of our games last year. And it's not a team that's going to compete for the conference this year, but they, they found a quarterback. They're building around him. And in this conference, especially with what they have in their non-conference, I, I really think Temple has a chance to be a bowl team this year. See, that's wild because as we've been kind of working through this and we've been pe- asking people, can you name all of the AAC teams? I feel like Temple is the one that people tend to forget. And that's the guys from Tulsa forgot Temple and they've been in the league together for a while. It's just far away. I mean, I, last year, watched that Friday night game on ESPN where uh, it was dur- during the World Series in Philadelphia and Tulsa's on the road at Temple on a Friday night. And poor Temple, right, they're playing at the Eagles Stadium uh, and the, the World Series is going on. There, there's not a big crowd there. But um, I'll say it again, Stan Drayton is doing things the right way. Last year was his first year. They were sorting through quarterback issues. I'm going to draw a blank on his name right now. I don't have it in front of me, but the Georgia Mathis, I believe is his last name, the Georgia quarterback that transferred. They played him early against Duke and they, they barely, I mean, I don't think they moved the ball past midfield in the first half. EJ Warner though is, he was a freshman last year. He looked like it from a physical standpoint and they're going to be, they're going to have a chance this year. I'm not saying they're going to win the conference, but I think they could get to six or seven wins if things go right for them. Uh, Dewan Mathis, I do remember his name. I did Dewan not realize he had, he had ended up at Temple, but oddly enough, I do remember that name. That's funny enough. It's also interesting because you are you're, you're painting a picture of something in modern college football that seems kind of rare of, hey, a team can have a good season and win six or seven games or even maybe five and it's okay. Um are you allowed to say that, or I feel I feel like that's a countercultural to everything in the new transfer portal must win right now or else day of of college football. Are you, yeah, are you a you throwback? Know, Is this for real? <laughs> no, I think it all, it depends on situation, right? I mean, if if UTSA, uh, even though they're coming into a new conference, if for any of the schools that are legacy teams, uh, you think about Memphis, even East Carolina replacing a quarterback, certainly SMU, Tulane, the, the expectations are different for those teams than Rice hasn't had a winning season since 2014. So six and six this year in a new conference, that's going to feel a lot different than six and six for Tulane, who just won the Cotton Bowl over USD. So year in and year out, I think that's one of the things that gets lost in the the playoff era and the transfer portal era is for non-Power 5 schools, for group of five schools, especially ones that play tough non-conference schedules, getting to a bowl game is a big deal. It still means something to those kids. And, and you see that every year when teams are 
five and six going into the last game of the season, and they are working their tails off to get to that sixth win because that's their reward, right? I mean, none of these teams shouldn't say none. There's a chance, but in this format, until the playoff expands, none of these teams are likely to make it to the college football playoff, and so a major bowl game or a bowl game at all is a really big deal. And, and even though Rice didn't get to 500 last year, you saw how important it was to those kids that they got a chance to go at five and seven as well. Yeah, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast yet or somewhere, but there were people who were clamoring that Rice should turn down the bowl game last year. I was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay, I'm going to say it to you. That's ridiculous for the kids. Yeah. And I, Looked at it from both sides. Um, if I'm a, if I'm on the team, you did everything in your power to get to six wins. You didn't get there. Uh, but if the way the system is set up, they need a team to go. The kids are not going to say no. Um, but from the administration standpoint, I thought it was a little bit disappointing that they sort of just moved past that they had clearly established in the offseason and in messaging that 500 was the, the minimum expectation. They didn't get there, and then it almost seemed like it was just swept under the rug, and it was like, well, ignore how we got here. We're still in a bowl game. Uh, and I think, look, if you if you paid attention to uh, alumni turnout at the bowl game, it, it wasn't great. It was pretty poor, and I think it surprised the administration uh, that so few people traveled to the game. All that to say, if I'm on that team – 22, 21-year-old Taylor is absolutely wanting to go play in the bowl game regardless of how we got there. So I see it from both sides. Yeah, I will say I agree with it, at least that respect. Of it, it felt very loophole and I feel like everyone is uh, everyone was aware. Before the season, like, was, we're going to a bowl game. It's like, well, the implicit understanding of, of 500 was in there. But technically, we didn't say it so... But uh, I don't think it's going to be a uh, – it'll be explicitly uh, proclaimed this year of six wins and a bowl game, at least not uh, some combination. Uh, there's another uh, FB, FBS team this year, right? So less spots in theory. Yeah, in theory, it should uh, – especially in this conference with the tie-ins, I think you'll have to get to six wins. And look, for, for Coach Bloomgren – He's talked about it for the last couple of years. I mean, the expectation is to get to the postseason, and this will certainly be a challenge. This is a step up in competition, and the non-conference is uh, challenging in some respects, but in others, getting Houston and UConn at home, that's big, and and Houston is going to be down this year. Losing Clayton Toon, got a lot of talent that has moved on from that program. Um, I actually think Rice has a legitimate shot under the lights to to beat Houston this year for the first time in a while. Yeah, you're looking at starting Arizona uh, Cardinals quarterback, Clayton Toon. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I'm a huge Clayton Toon fan. I would be all about that. I, if only Tank Dell had ended up there, there too, that would have been so much fun. I guess, well, how much bigger is Marquise Brown than Tank Dell? Can't be that much bigger. Um, anyhow, not an Arizona Cardinals podcast. But yeah, I think it's interesting you, make, you mentioned – um, we kind of got onto how things are going at Rice. Um, we talked to you a little bit, uh, I guess, last year and kind of going into this year. Um, is that kind of where you would level set expectations at? Is this a a, a bowl team for the Owls, kind of the, the threshold of, of where they need to be um, 
And for me, it's been trying to adjust of like, yes, the expectations of if they were in Conference USA, you can just ratchet them up a little bit. But also, how do you adjust for the level of difficulty of the league they're going into, but still wanting to show improvement? Is six the happy medium in between all of those things? Yeah, I think for this team and for as long as Coach Bloomgren has been at the helm, I think six wins should be the minimum expectation. Uh, I understand it is a step up in competition. There, there's no doubt about it. But the way the schedule lays out, there are six wins to be had on, on this schedule. Um, this is as favor- favorable a non-conference as Rice has had in a long time. When you get UConn at home, Houston at home, and Texas Southern, you should, at a minimum, and then you've got Texas, obviously, to open the season, but I, I think the expectation there would be to get to 2-2 two and two in non-conference. And any time you can do that, historically, Rice can get to four wins in conference. Usually, I mean, at this point, to remove the years like 2017-2018 when it was a clear rebuild. But for as long as Coach Bloomgren has been in place, and then obviously with JT Daniels transferring in, there are pieces here. I understand Rosner leaving is that's a, a big hole to fill, but there are six wins on this schedule to go get, even with the step up in competition. I'm in. I I th- I, I'm, I tend to agree with you. And then tell me, uh, picking your quarterback brain real quick. Um, let's assume JT Daniels is is good. Maybe that's too much of an assumption. I'm not even going to say like all American, amazing. I'm just going to say probably better than Rice has had at the position in some time. Um, how uh, difficult would it be for Rice to have a, you know, capital G good quarterback and not have a successful season with the infrastructure they've built? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if that's the case, if JT Daniels lives up to the billing and look, he, he was a five star out of high school. He has shown bright spots at two of the three stops that he's made. West Virginia, there was certainly some good. There was a lot of bad as well. Uh, but for JT Daniels, the defenses he's playing this year, they will look different than obviously what he faced at USC and then obviously at West Virginia as well. Um, the challenge if to your question about what would it look like to have a good quarterback and then still fall short of expectations, that just falls on the defense. What does the defense look like in this new conference where – you're having to face, you know, in back-to-back weeks this year, Rice plays Tulane and SMU. Now, the beauty is they get them both at home. Um, but there there are some tests on this schedule. They also get East Carolina at home in conference, which is a big deal. But, you know, Texas week one, that's going to be – I mean, Texas is a, a dark horse playoff team this year, whether people want to admit it or not. They're favored to win the Big 12. So that is going to be a real Spice. test out of the gate week one. But UTSA – very frustrated on Rice's behalf that they have to go to UTSA again. It feels like for the last five years, we seem to play them in the Alamo Dome every year. Um, but on the defensive side, there are there's going to be some quarterbacks that they have to play and teams that have uh, consistent weapons across the board that they did not see at Conference USA week in and week out. We had this discussion last week, and, and I – I think I'm coming around to a more, at least a higher level of expectation, just because like with how weird the last couple of years have been, and then you add in the the step up in competition alongside it. I would 
for a long time, my position this offseason has been that I just don't really know what to expect in terms of record for this Rice team. Like, I think there is and should be a level, an expectation of an increased level of play compared to years past. Like, there's no reason this team shouldn't be better than last year's team, which went five and seven. And, you know, if you were still in Conference USA, that leads to at minimum six and six, if not more. But when you add in the level, like, when you add in the increase in competition, it's like, what does what does better look like? Does a better team translate to six, seven, eight wins when you add in? Like, it, it's been hard getting a sense of where Rice really fits in, even if they've raised their level in an absolute sense from last season. What's the relative, where's their, their place in the pecking order in the AAC? And I think... I think you make a very good point with the the non-conference schedule adding to that because you want to get to two and two there, but there's also like, you know, getting Houston and UConn at home, like three and one isn't wildly optimistic in in non-conference play. It maybe may not be the most likely outcome. Oh, see, I love this because it's July and right now it's two and two. By the time we get to August, it'll be three and one. And by the time we get to the start of September, it's like, you know, Texas might not be that great. <laughs> it is the off-season cycle. That's what July and August are for. Is you just, <laughs> because right. all you can do is like read news reports and think yourself into a tizzy. And I guess I am not one of those people whose natural sports fandom uh, mindset is pessimism. So, you know, you leave me going just like mulling the team on the brain for a couple months. And by the time we get yeah. to September, I'm going to be like, well, why can't they beat everyone? <laughs> Well, I, I will go on record to say I, I don't anticipate they go to Austin and get a win. Nothing would make <laughs> me happier, but I don't think that's going to happen. But beyond that, uh, Carter, I agree with you. And if you really want to let yourself get over your skis and get excited, if they beat Houston, the next three weeks they play Texas Southern, should be a win at home. They play at USF, who's going to have – they have a brand-new head coach. They were – I had them twice last year. That team has a long way to go before they're very good. That would be Rice's first win in the new conference on the road. Then they get East Carolina at home. Then they get UConn at home. Those are all – that four-game stretch – excuse me, five-game stretch, including Houston, those are all winnable games. Now, look, Carter, I think this is to your point where you were getting at with – uh, does the increase in play, can Rice lean into that and live up to those expectations week in and week out? I think about last year when the team was rolling and uh, felt like there was some real momentum and then laid one of the biggest eggs I can remember since I've been around Rice against Charlotte at home on homecoming. Um, I think you know that, that game changed the trajectory of the whole season where if they get that win – not only are they do they secure, you know, fast forward, they would have had six wins, but I also think they probably would they would have that confidence to go to North Texas and get a seventh win during the regular season. So I, I would love to sit here and say, you know, a five game win streak in this conference is possible for Rice, but to be honest, I have not seen anything that leads me to believe that um, they can play that way consistently. But believe me, I would love nothing more to them to be proven wrong. This is this whole on paper versus actually having to play the football games, right? 
I feel like that's been the the dichotomy that has been rice football, especially like from like I'll say twenty twenty one on. Like once they got o- over the hump, had got the established roster past COVID, it's been kind of like that yin and yang of like, hey, should you versus hey, will you? And then of course they right. sprinkle in the random upset, not random, but the upsets here and there of, of UAB and I mean back to twenty twenty of Marshall of like man. When things are right, just just look at it. Yep. It's just yeah. you got to find and, a way to sustain it. And you guys will both know this, Carter. You and I were right at the same time. Even going back to before I got to Rice, that has been the challenge for this program for a long time, is figuring out a way to get comfortable as the favorite and be comfortable going on the road and getting a win. And there was a stretch. There was a long stretch. My – true freshman through my red shirt sophomore season where I don't think we had a road win. It was like a three year stretch. And there were plenty of games where we were in a position to win and not to make this about, you know, the quote unquote good old days, but it's cyclical and you see this over and over with with Rice where they've got plenty of talent to do it and they've got plenty of talent to go on the road and get wins or close out games at home. Um but it's a that's an internal belief and I'm hoping there's a lot of veteran leadership that's on this team. I'm also hoping that JT Daniels coming in a new team, but he's been around college football forever. Uh, We'll see how that translates, but very excited to get to watch him in person. Yeah. I believe you and JT Daniels were freshmen at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Me and Giovanni. (laughs) Possible starting yeah. wide receiver, Giovanni. Love that. I would love that. I, yeah, he's a great dude, and everybody that uh, I've ever talked to about him since he's been on campus says he's an incredible teammate, and I, he deserves to get some shine and, and get some production in what I think is his last season. I've given up on <laughs> last seasons now. I just checked the roster going into fall camp, and I'm like, okay, who's left? Right. Yeah, that's a, uh, probably the right way to do it. Oh man. Uh, and we have, we do have, we have a run up to catch the season. We still got a couple of weeks and we'll hit on rice. I do want to finish up a little bit of AAC flavor here um, before we let you go. And we got to get back to some team schools, but uh, in general, uh, I'm going to toss one up. That's a, a little bit more abstract. Uh, most fun. What team in the AAC this year do you think is going to be the most fun? Oh, that's a good question. I, think for a number of reasons that following UTSA is going to be a lot of fun. And I, the reason I say that, even though they are, they're ranked towards the top of all the preseason rankings, I've seen them as high as two, seen them sprinkled in at three, but there are teams like Memphis and East Carolina and less so SMU and Tulsa because they're closer, but I think some of these teams that are on the East Coast or, or not in Texas don't have any idea really how good UTSA is. And I think it will be fun to watch, assuming they play to their potential. I was in the building for their conference championship against North Texas last year, and it is a well-run program. Jeff Trailer's done a phenomenal job. And I think it, it's just going to be fun to see reaction from these teams that UTSA is going to beat somebody in conference that's from the the previous kind of the holdover team, so to speak. 
and that reaction from wait, 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 who are these guys? How long have they been playing football? What does UTSA stand for? Uh, Do they play I Memphis it, this year? Memphis, I feel like, could be a team that would not. I don't know if they do, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun to, uh, again, assuming they play up to their potential, which I think they will, especially with Frank Harris coming back. But, man, they will turn some heads, I think, early and often. Frank Harris, another guy who might be as old as you and me, Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, he's played a lot of football. and um, Still has another year of eligibility, right? I think he does. Uh, that's correct. Talk about a guy that used the NIL to his advantage. Hey, I've become a big Frank Harris fan. He's fun to watch. That checks out. Uh, okay, uh, let's hop over. Uh, uh, class clown. Who's the AAC's class clown? Oh gosh, who would be the class clown? Who's got the I- most wide open style? Carter, if you've got one off the top of your head, feel free to fire yeah. away. Well, I was just trying to like. I'm trying to think. What are our parameters here? Like who? What makes a team a clown team? Like, do we mean this in, in a derogatory sense? Like, like, oh, that program's not serious? Or do we mean, like, uh, I I'm just can't thinking believe like, that wacky stuff just happened? Yes. Just Ch- absolutely. Chaos team. Think, think the chaos like the, uh, yeah. the Middle Tennessee team that, like, yeah. went down and, like, beat I'll, Miami. I'll you Miami and then yeah. just disappeared. I think if I was going to say class clown, and this is obviously not in a derogatory way, this would be uh, sort of a wouldn't it be funny Tom Herman's first year in, at Florida Atlantic, I think. Oh, that's why is that perfect? Uh, he yeah. could totally, <laughs> they could totally pop up out of nowhere and have a 10 win season. And you'd be like, and they're just laughing all the way where no one has said anything about them. It's been very quiet since he's gotten down there. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that Tom Herman is still a very good football coach and accomplished a lot of things before he got run out of town in Austin. But winning games in Boca Raton is a lot different than winning games in Austin. And it would not surprise me if uh, very quickly he got them winning games. That is so on brand. And there's also excellent potential there, again, considering his history in Austin and to to a lesser extent in Houston as well, of uh, for them to look amazing and have just like a, a run of incredibly impressive wins and then just completely fall flat on their face out of nowhere at some point. I'm in. I think that's perfect. All right. Uh, most disappointing. Who who do you just not believe in this year? Well, I hope it's not Rice. <laughs> <laughs> Us too. Um, you know, going back to last year and looking at how they handled the G.J. Kinney missing him, I think Tulsa has a chance to to be disappointing this year, and they don't have to be. Um, and I hope I'm wrong. Look, I hope every one of these teams has a ton of success. But they did not – I think G.J. Kinney, from, from conversations that I've had and people that I've talked to, there was a chance between Tulsa and Texas State for G.J. Kinney to take the job where he played the majority of his college career and where he's one of their legends. And I think Tulsa dropped the ball. They, they did not come across as serious in the negotiations, it sounded like. And um, now you, you wonder, how do they feel about their own program? How, how, is it clear that they want to win? What do they want Tulsa football to, to be? And 
it sets themselves up first year head coach this year uh, sets itself up for a disappointing year for Tulsa potentially. I, they're one of the teams I just don't know what to do with. The, yeah, the, the, the coach they brought so, in and like Kevin Wilson, like it, it just feels weird. Like, and I don't know, like I, I'm trying to get myself to not buy too hard into fit with coaches because that's sometimes... the thing. It doesn't fit, but he might be a good coach. But what like, did anyone in the world think Brian Kelly was a good fit at LSU? But it it's working. So sometimes the sometimes the the fits that seem the most logical don't work at all, and the ones that seem bizarre end up being great. So who knows? Yeah, I I, I don't have a read on them at all. Yeah, who knows? Uh, next one I had was was just happy to be here. Uh, maybe this is a uh, tailored to our our new faces, the incoming AAC teams. Uh, hey, who's just happy yeah. to be here? I, I think Charlotte should be counting their their <laughs> blessings. Look, I think, um, and I realize we're on a Rice podcast. They uh, <laughs> they pantsed us last year on our on Rice's homecoming, but they've got some challenges, and I think they're picked dead last this year and at least early on we'll see what happens but at least for this first year and maybe the first couple of years i think charlotte is very fortunate that they did not get left behind in conference usa yeah that's uh that's fair last one i got for you um most likely to succeed but i'm caveating this this is not best team this is succeed of we just had all this churn and we're trying to memorize who's in the AAC right now in 2023. Uh, what team is most likely to succeed and make the jump up from the AAC first, be it P5, Big 12, wherever? Who's on the way out? I think SMU, Rhett Lashley on a call last year with us, Rhett Lashley was not bashful about the, the amount of money that LSU, or LSU, excuse me, SMU is raising and the goals that they have set as a university, not just with regards to athletics, but um, I think he made it very clear on the call that they have intentions of trying to move to a bigger conference at some point. I think SMU and Memphis and Tulane, but especially SMU and Memphis, you've seen their names in the headlines quite a bit, especially Memphis this offseason with the Big 12. Would not be surprised at all if there's another round of realignment and those two teams one or the other, if not both, move up to uh, the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or, or whatever it may be. As a uh, a Texas guy, would you be opposed to having a rooting for a team or, or being around a program that ended up playing most of its games on the West Coast? I know Pac-12 has been a rumor for SMU. Yeah, I think... Football is football is so different than every other sport. Personally, is is my opinion that you think about uh, the, the biggest example right now with USC and UCLA. It's not here. Pretty soon, after a couple of years of it, it won't be that strange to look on the TV and see you know USC playing Penn State. Obviously, that's going to be exciting. But you know UCLA and Rutgers, Rutgers. on a, or, or yeah UCLA and 
Purdue on the 11 a.m. kick at the in November if both teams aren't good. That'll be a little strange. But what is the bigger challenge is, is your non-football sports, is volleyball in the middle of the week traveling to, you know, if, if we're t- going back to talking about a Texas school, let's use SMU for the example, and they go to the Pac-12. You're ch- traveling to Washington midweek for volleyball, for cross country, for softball, baseball. I mean, gosh, those guys miss so much school already. Um, I think that's where these conference realignment, I think we're, uh, it's gotten way beyond what I ever anticipated would happen. But for the biggest brands, look, there's a lot of money to be had for USC and UCLA to uh, be wrapped up in a CBS TV contract with the Big Ten. So if SMU or Memphis gets a crack at that with, with the Pac-12, um, maybe they take that. Or they. I think what's more likely is they both try to hold out for the, the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, I don't I've, remember who it was, but go ahead. I was just saying, I've I've recently come around on the idea that football kind of needs to go independent from other sports in terms of conferences, just because I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to where someone made that exact point. It's just like it makes perfect understanding, especially in football. Like even not in terms of the revenue, where football you just play once a week on the weekends that is a much more sustainable model where you're in a nationwide conference than for non-revenue sports that play a couple times a week that already have these crazy grueling schedules to now be regularly going from like Florida to California for like a Tuesday match. If you're on like the, you know, the tennis team or whatever, like it's, it's not financially viable for these universities and it's, it's way too much of a strain on the players. Like it just, the other sports getting pulled along on, and you understand why in terms of the money football is doing what it is, but like the other sports getting pulled along with this just isn't a like sustainable model for anyone. It's sustainable. You you nailed, I think that word, um, it's not sustainable. The system is already pretty close to, to being broken, but the hangup and, and people a lot smarter than, than I am will have to sort through this problem. Um, how you unravel and how you make sure that, uh, what do you do with Title IX and ensure that there are equal number of scholarships for men and women if you take away the revenue from football, if you separate it, because that's where, uh, Carter, like you just said, and, and even take away the, the huge TV money for the Big Ten of the SEC, let's use Rice as the example. Rice playing Texas or Rice playing large schools in their non-conference, that is a huge piece of how athletic departments fund their all of their other sports, especially right. the non-revenue sports, obviously. And if you if you separate football, which I think we all agree, major college football and major college basketball even, I think there's a world where they become its own entity separate from the NCAA. And at that point, are they, are they employees? Do they even need to go to school? Who knows? But how do you make sure that uh, the scholarships that are in place that give kids opportunity, both male and female, that that, that doesn't go away? So it's a, it's a tricky problem and it's really challenging. Um, I think NIL in a lot of ways has been good for college athletics top down, including your non-revenue sports. Um, in other ways, not having any guardrails has uh, been a little unfortunate because you can see the writing on the wall anytime a kid from a smaller conference or school 
has a big year, they're gone. They're going to go take the money and they're going to move on. It's, it's very unlikely that they stay in place because, um, you know, Frank Harris is an outlier where UTSA was able to raise a lot of money in the, in, in their collective to, to pay him to get to stay. That's not the case normally. Sam Hartman's a good example at Wake Forest. Got a lot of money to transfer to Notre Dame. So it's, it's the world we live in. Um, and when you have guys at a place like Rice that have a great season, I'm very thankful that, uh, you know, we've kept Luke McCaffrey. I thought there was a, a world where he might move on. But um, it, it's just the nature of the business at this point. Surely he can get a loan from his brother, right? Like he doesn't need <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need nil money, right? Like like Christians, Chris, like come on, Christian, like help us out here. Yeah, I think if it came down to it, I would have no problem going to Twitter to ask his brother. Hey, <laughs> everyone, DM, but wait, that could backfire. Yeah. Let's let's leave Christian alone. Uh, but it's 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 and it's funny because you were we were talking about you know splitting off football and other sports. Uh, Conference USA doesn't sponsor men's soccer anymore, or at least they they stopped with the realignment stuff. But but go back and look at the standings for the last couple of years that they sponsored soccer, because you're like okay, who played so- like Marshall? They were in there, Charlotte, and then you go look at the standings: Coastal Carolina, Kentucky. South Carolina was a member of the Conference USA Men's Soccer. Yeah, like because it's you know like, who also doesn't sponsor men's soccer, the SEC. Right. That, but like a world where stuff like that becomes more commonplace, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, I, I'm interested to see in the long term with soccer's growth, and now we're really getting off topic, but <laughs> do you see more programs – uh, add college soccer for men specifically, but that unfortunately is one of the first ones uh, that gets the axe if it's a, a program that is having any sort of budget constraints and they're trying to stay under Title IX figures. Men's soccer is usually one of the first ones that gets uh, taken away. Man, I did not think we were hitting men's soccer tonight. We've hit everything. We we're, we've been, yeah, this has been, <laughs> but you know, this is the perfect. Uh, this is the perfect summer sort of ramp up podcast where you just talk about whatever we hit the high points. It's been very enjoyable. We got to get it right. And we're going to get you out of here, but we have to close you off. We, we run everybody through the lightning round at the end of these episodes. And for our beat guys, we ask about team specifics uh, for you. We're going to tailor it, uh, tailor it. We're going to tailor it for Taylor uh, a bit more. <laughs> I didn't even write that one down. Ladies and gentlemen, that was just off the top of my head. Um, we're going to open it up, make it a little more broad AAC in general and get some of the high points because I think, and and what I found talking to, you know, Carter and myself and other rice fans of, we got a pretty good feel of, I can tell you a lot about what's going on at UAB. I can tell you what's going on at UTSA. Charlotte is there. You know, we've seen these teams, some of the newer teams and even the star players, like who are the best players at, at, you know, SMU and Tulsa and ECU We're we're learning, um, so we're going to pick your brain a little bit, open it up. We'll start you off. Um, these aren't graded, but we might keep score, if that makes sense. <laughs> we'll let you know okay. at the end of the season how you did. Got it. Um, best player on offense in the American in 2023. Oh, goodness. Um, I'll go with Pratt at Tulane. I think he's got a chance. Look, I, I think he's going to be a, a – 
have a shot at a real NFL career, not just as a, a backup. I think he can be a serviceable starter at some point in the NFL. He's got that kind of talent. Um, and he's played a lot of football. It, it, people forget this was two years ago now, but they went to Norman and gave Oklahoma everything they could handle. Oh, in a year that, they, they should have won that game. Yeah, that Tulane wasn't yeah. very good. So um, they're bringing a They've got they've obviously lost some talent on defense. Uh, a couple of those, I can't remember their names now at the top of my head, but linebackers on that side that were phenomenal players that are now in the NFL. But Pratt's got a chance to uh, be really special, and, and I'll take him. Okay, other side of the ball, how about defense? Best defensive player in the American. Oh, man, you guys are really putting me to the test now. Really, I'm just hoping you can name one American defensive player that is very good. Yeah, I was about to give you the. I was, I'll, ex- the I'll first accept person. Joshua Piercy. Yeah, okay. I'm going Josh Piercy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'll take Josh Piercy. Yeah, I, he's uh gosh, I feel like he's another one that has been around for, and I think he's actually just been on a normal trajectory of his time in college, but it feels like he's been around for seven years at Rice. I mean, once you don the spaceship uniforms and you shoot the promo videos. He was the model yeah. for those. That's you gotta right. have some yeah. cachet. Dude looks like a Greek god. We had to have some level of homerism on this podcast, right? Hey, yeah, but for real, course. like, Joshua Piercy, he's one of the, and I don't know what it was. Of, like, he wasn't even, like, going into the camp last year, the, like, surefire starter, KK Orgy was in front of him and maybe that's what it was. He just hadn't earned the accolades yet, but dude is just a menace. And I don't, I don't know if the rest of, I mean, America conference USA, the AAC has really caught on. I think maybe just cause, you know, look at edge rushers and say, if you don't have the stacks, we can the sacks, we cast you aside, but uh, he's a guy who could surprise some people this year. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm in. All right. Uh, under the radar player in the American, any side of the ball. Who's not like that marquee name, the Frank Harris, the the Pratt, but you think yeah, he's sticking good. I'm going to go back to EJ Warner because I don't think people realized, look, they were three and nine. They're not going to get a lot of attention. I, I understand that, but go back and look at his stats against Houston towards the end of the year. Uh, South Florida, he put up huge, huge numbers. Once they got rolling, I mean, he was throwing for 350, 400 yards a game at the end of the season. And again, coming into this season, not getting a ton of attention. Um, I think he's got a chance to be really good for them as well. That would be fun. I love this. Uh, Wide open AAC player that you just enjoy watching the most. Um, Let's see. I'm going to go with Frank Harris as a newbie. Um, but he plays with so much energy. He reminds me a little bit of Jalen Hurts, where he's a big physical dude, and you could tell he just loves playing ball, and his teammates feel that. And especially when you're in the building and you get to be up close and personal with that team, his guys love him, and that's the best quality you can have in a quarterback. And I'm excited. We talked earlier about how I think they're going to surprise people. I think he will surprise people at the conference as well. All right, then how about Rookie of the Year? Anybody yeah. new 
freshman Preston transfer, Stone. what have you. Preston yeah. Stone. Preston Ooh. Stone. He so we had them last year against uh, against Tulsa, and he broke his collarbone. But for the first quarter when he was in, he looked the part. He looked like. And for people that don't know, his final two that he got down to were Texas and SMU. So that's that's kind of talent he has. Um, really good player, really strong arm, and he'll be bigger this year, a little more developed. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. But that's another guy that sky's the limit for him and. I think SMU is still, even though they're replacing their quarterback, you can tell in the preseason rankings they're getting knocked for that. But really, would not surprise me at all if we get to the end of the year and SMU's in the the AAC championship. So you threw a couple quarterbacks out there. Uh, if you had to pick now, conference MVP? Yeah, I'll go Pratt. And I know I'm going chalk here, um, but – Look, it's pretty rare that you get a quarterback that good at a place like Tulane, and I think he's got a chance to be, you know, one of the top four or five quarterbacks that's taken in next year's draft. And he's played again; he's played a ton of football, and that is in this day and age, especially when guys have a chance to to leave. A lot of times they do; they go get they go get paid. But he has stayed in place. Um, there were some rumors last year that he may be transferring. He didn't. He's he's still at Tulane. And in the New Look Conference, with the amount of talent they have coming back, the amount of football that he's played, I think it's, I think it's safe money to say he's got a really good chance of being the best player in the conference. Which would mean your pick to win the AAC would probably be Tulane. Yeah, I think, especially for this first year, either one of uh, – SMU, Tulane, or Memphis out of those three, I think one of those three will almost certainly be in, if not two of those three. And then UTSA is probably the only new addition that has a real chance at the conference in their first season. I'm not sure there's anybody else out of the new six that that has a chance. Um, And then beyond that, for a dark horse, maybe Say, that was my next question. Okay. Yeah, maybe East Carolina, um, but they're having to replace their quarterback. Uh, we'll see. You know, Holt Naylor's played you know 19 seasons of college football for them, so at least it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what do they do at quarterback. And um, I, I would say that's the only other school that I think really has a an outside shot. Man, that would be interesting. It it it, it does it feel as wide open. For you right now, I know we've talked about, I think it's pretty consensus right now at this point that someone between the Tulane, UTSA, SMU, Memphis is probably going to take home the title. But does this league feel more wide open than it's been? And I mean, obviously the membership changed, but it's a lot flatter than maybe we might have initially anticipated it being. Yeah, I think you've got um, you've got a couple that are really good at the top. You've got a couple that are really not going to be very good at the bottom. And then I think you've got a lot of parity in the middle. You know, teams call it three through 11 or 12. I think any of those teams can beat anybody else on any given week. Uh, I think there's a there's a separation at the top where and maybe it's three teams with uh, Tulane, SMU and UTSA. I think there's those three. Um, especially uh, UTSA and Tulane. But after that, you know, even uh, Memphis, who, you know, bringing back 
quarterback from last year. Um, I think that middle ground with that group of 10 or 11 teams, there's a lot of parity in the conference. It's going to be fun, man. I'm excited. Yeah. I was excited before we started talking. I am now doubly excited. Yeah, it's look, or say it again, this is a huge deal for Rice because, um, you know, and I'm doing a couple of these Conference USA games for, for CBS this year. Um, but the, the replacements that have moved in, I think it's anybody that follows the sport understands Conference USA has t- taken a step backwards, adding Jacksonville State and New Mexico State and Sam Houston State. You know, that's a, that's a step backwards from UTSA and UAB and North Texas. You know, those are teams that have, have certainly had their moments, especially UTSA. So it was a big, big deal for Rice to get out of that conference. And um, they got to be prepared to do it again because, look, who knows in this day and age how much, with how much things change and how much things shuffle around, it may be sooner than later that, you know, they're faced with this again. Yeah, I haven't even gotten that far. I'm like, I'm just going to learn who's on the schedule this year and then yeah. not even think about it. Because they put out like a, was it a four-year rotation and of the the schedule for the American? Because I think Rice plays like North Texas again in like 2026 or something like that. I was like, I, that seems I can't even think that far. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Exactly. Our last, oh, so we know where to follow you. We turn on our TVs and you're going to be there calling some football game on ESPN or CBS. Um, anything else? What else do you got going on? Anything else we need to be looking out for you that you're doing over the next couple weeks, months, and then it's football season? Man, not yet. We've got some preview stuff with uh, with the conference that we'll start rolling out in August. But, um, yeah, once the season gets going, it'll be, as you guys know, it, it, this all picks up and it's a whirlwind for the next you know, 13, 14 weeks, but no, this is the last stretch of, um, you know, you guys, actually, this is the first real piece of, uh, any sort of content or anything football related since the schedule release back in whatever, February or March. So this is really the signal that things are about to start ramping up. Yeah. We're here to, to, uh, help break you in, get you up to speed or vice versa. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for all you do for Rice Athletics. I know, um, like especially in, in football in the last few years, there there's, have not been as many bright spots as uh, we would hope. But, um, you know, credit to you guys for putting out really good content consistently. And hopefully with the new, you know, getting into this new conference, I think there's definitely going to be more engagement from other fan bases as well. And I think it's, it's definitely an exciting time for Rice. Yeah, some more, some more hate, some good old fashioned rivalries. <laughs> I will take it. That's we'll take we it. That's a, yeah. That's how you yeah. know you're in a good conference. Go beat up on those people from ECU. <laughs> Never liked pirates. Fire up the Greenville slander. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for hopping on with us, Taylor. Um, thanks uh, to the listeners for sticking with us. We're we're like we said, rolling into that last. Uh, pre-camp season of the off pre-camp part of the off season. So uh, stick with us and football will be here before you know it. So uh, we'll see y'all later and rice fight. 
This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.